We're talking parks partially reopening, parks planning to partially reopen, and parks wishing that they could plan to partially reopen. That and more, all on today's Park Hop. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of The Great Park Hop. My name is Julian James, and continuing to join us live from the Hall Cave, where he's still wondering what a Disney Plus live-action remake of Black Cauldron would actually be, the man, the myth, the legend, Henry Hall. Deo! Each week, we get together to discuss the latest and greatest theme park news, happenings, and burning topics from the lands of Disney, Universal, and beyond. Before launching into things, we always like to note that Henry works at the Walt Disney Company. As always, though, his opinions are fully his own. So, Henry, I got a, I got a great question that I was uh, I was thinking of while there's a, I actually shouldn't even say and credit myself for coming up with this thought because I believe it was over at WDWinfo.com that uh, had a great article about this that was specifically calling out park homogenization and how so many of these parks that we're, that we're seeing kind of going through refurbishments and building these new rides, we have multiple instances of these parks, including rides from other locations and just doing copy and paste. So rides like Tron, we've talked about Tron. I know that you're excited about Tron too, but they're basically taking that from Shanghai Disneyland, throwing it right down into uh, Magic Kingdom, Galaxy's Edge between Disneyland and Disney World is very similar. Ratatouille, it's the same kind of ride. What are your thoughts around this? Like, is this something in your mind that you see as a, as a positive or do you like kind of the unique factor of parks having their own rides that you can't find anywhere else? Well, I like it when it when it's something, say, uh, I think like when you're talking about a ride that's like overseas and bringing it uh, to the U.S., I like that, but I don't know if I really care for it, like, from just within, like, the U.S., like, between sharing the ride between Disneyland and Disney World, I think uh, I think it's, I like it better when it, they're more unique, so it gives me a reason to go over to that park, right. but, uh, but then, like, but I think it's good to share it between like parks in different nations because not everybody can travel overseas traveling overseas is definitely more expensive right uh as it is and more difficult to do uh so i think i think that's where i think i like it as far as i mean going overseas is already an adventure in of itself so i mean going to disneyland still is overseas is still a great thing uh that you would probably want to do anyways uh, not necessarily just to see a uh a particular ride but i think it's but i don't like within like between disneyland and disney world i like them to stay kind of more uh more unique between them yeah no i i definitely get that Point. I mean, you know, we mentioned Galaxy's Edge initially. There is something kind of, I don't know if disappointing is the right word, but it is, it's just a little weird to have something like that where it's just kind of a a one for one for the most part. It's a one for one replica. And so it really is 
you know, it sounds like maybe there's a, a color palette change a little bit to kind of uh, blend in with uh, the the surrounding environments in each park, maybe a little bit. But, you know, if you've been to Disneyland Galaxy's Edge, you've been to Disney World's Galaxy's Edge and, and vice versa. So it does kind of feel a little bit disappointing because, um, you know, if you are somebody that does like to travel between the parks, uh, I know for me, when I'm planning for Hollywood Studios coming up here, it's a little less exciting to think about Galaxy's Edge because I've seen it. I've been there. I've done that. And I know I'm probably in the, it may be in the minority, but it um, it definitely does take off that excitement a little bit. Uh, so, but a question just in terms of thinking of international parks, um, do you think then that if you're, you know, if, if we start seeing this trend continue um, and we do see even more ride sharing between all of the different Disney parks internationally, do you think maybe that that takes some of the excitement or maybe mystery out of at a visiting a foreign park, if if you know all of the rides or a majority of the rides you could ride in the U.S. anyway, I don't think so. There's, I mean, like going overseas. I mean, there's so much to seeing, like just the culture too of how uh, Disney is treated. Because even because there's just a lot more to the ride to the park other than, than just rides. Right. I really appreciate when not just going to the park, but also like experiencing the other culture while you're in the park and seeing how they, how much other people in other countries also enjoy uh, Disney. And then like, of course, uh, culinary delights at said park. There's just, <laughs> there's already so much more to like, uh, just experience too. Plus, you know, usually there is some kind of differences in, so I don't know. I think, uh, internationally, I think I would still like, I mean, when I went to, uh, Dis uh to Tokyo Disneyland and I was 15, uh, I still enjoyed it even though I had been to Disneyland in, uh, in California a number of times, it was still an enjoyable experience. So, right. But it was the same rides for the most part. So did you find that disappointing at all? No, okay. it was actually, I think, I think it was interesting just like, you know, I was going on star tours and hearing like what they were saying in Japanese and hearing right. the different voices, like the, cause it's not the same, you know, it's not Anthony Daniels speaking to you, even though it's <laughs> right. C3PO, yeah. <laughs> some other Japanese guy like do it. I mean, I'm sure it may be the same guy who voices C3PO when in the Japanese version of star Wars, Probably. but it's a different voice for sure. So it's just, there's so many <laughs> other interesting aspects to kind of like take note when you're on the ride. So nah, and it was never like disappointed. Yeah. And that is definitely true that, you know, if you're looking outside of rides that uh, generally they do, Disney does a pretty good job of, incorporating elements of the culture um into their individual parks. I know that it was a it was a very strange experience certainly in Shanghai Disneyland because it did feel like very Disney in that there are like Disney characters running around, but then there are just kind of elements to that park 
that you would normally expect at a Disney park, uh, like a main street, for instance, and, and they don't really have a main street. It's kind of like a main street, but they call it Mickey Avenue. And so, yeah, I mean, it's, if anything, I wish that I had more time at, at Shanghai in particular to explore kind of, um, all of those various elements. There's massive kind of garden in the front of the castle as well. So yeah, I mean, it's very unique. I, I, um, I do like, I definitely get what you're saying. I do feel though, that at least, at least for me, and I've, I've gone to all of the international parks anyway. Um, there is something really exciting to, you know, when, when I was at least planning for Shanghai Disneyland, I had seen a lot of the footage of the Tron ride and it looked incredible. It was like, this is a ride that exists and, and, and I can't do it anywhere else other than this one specific location. And it did at least for, it did at least for that park and that location, it was a unique element that got me really pumped, but also was kind of like it, it added to the overall excitement of, of Shanghai Disneyland was like, whoa, they have this Tron coaster that you can't find anywhere else. They've got, you know, a, a Pirates of the Caribbean that you can't find anywhere else. Um, th there's just all of those kinds of elements that are just so unique. Similarly, you know, when you go around to parks and you see, like in Hong Kong, for instance, they've got, um, they don't have, uh, they don't have a big Thunder Mountain in Hong Kong Disneyland, but they do have a, what is it? It's called like, um, it's called Big Grizzly Mountain Runaway Mine Cars. And it is like a completely unique experience that involves like animatronic bears and has elements of uh, that you've seen in Big Thunder, but it's its own kind of unique thing. And, and it's like those elements that really are crystallized in my mind when I think of Hong Kong Disneyland or I think of Shanghai Disneyland or, or anything like that. And so, you know, when, um, and even similarly thinking about like Ratatouille in Walt Disney Studios Park, which at least, you know, uh, was one of the big cells of the, that individual park that doesn't have that much going on for it, at least not until Star Wars and Marvel opens uh, their areas up. But, uh, you know, it was like one of the unique factors about that park that made it worth visiting um, was checking out the Ratatouille ride. And so, you know, like I said, I, I, I agree. It's like exposing more people to it. And certainly um, you're going to get a very small fraction of people that are going to go to all of these foreign parks uh, and visit all of the foreign parks and really make that effort to, to go see everything. And so this is the next best thing. And it's, it's great to get just more, more people riding on all of that. But like I said, it does feel like at least, you know, there is that uniqueness factor that's being lost. Yeah. I mean, Speaking for probably the majority of people, uh, when I heard about the Tron ride and heard that it was going to be in uh, Shanghai Disney, the thought of me actually ever going to ride it yeah. was like zero to none at that point. I was very, very disappointed. But then the thought of it opening up in Florida, given the the odds like increase they're not a great odds by any chance i mean but they're more like 
I went from like as odds are zero to maybe odds to being like 50, 75 percent chance that at some point in my time, but doable odds. Dude, you'll get on Tron. No, well, no I mean, doubt. You'll get on Tron. I mean, the I'm just being realistic here. Like, you know, most people, even like, uh, you know, who like to travel and everything, you know, especially depending on how the account economy is going right now, sure. the odds of like traveling to Shanghai are very, very slim. And right. for me, even though I would, I wouldn't mind. I, I do remember being in Disneyland uh, in the California adventure, meeting up with a woman who had been to all the international parks, but she said she would never go to Shanghai Disney. She had, traveled to china on business said it was a miserable experience for her because of the like the pollution and everything yeah, yeah. it was, was oh, really sure. bad and yeah. she said she loves disney parks she will not go to shanghai disney so i mean it's it's kind of one of those things where like at least if it's in florida there's a chance that i might actually get to it at some point but right let me just say, she is missing out for sure. And I completely agree with what she's saying. Like, um, certainly a place like, e even when you go into a major city like Beijing or Shanghai, uh, China has some very unique challenges to it that uh, that if you go in expecting kind of a, a Western experience and you expect to kind of have that pomp and circumstance of even just people smiling at you on a regular basis or finding a taxi cab and, and kind of uh, expecting that they're going to speak your language. Like that just doesn't, that's not a thing in China. Uh, it is very different once you get to the parks. Like I was actually, I was actually very surprised. I'd been to China a couple of times before this. And so I kind of knew going in like, yeah, Western hospitality is not exactly a, uh, it's not, it's not a major priority in, uh, in China, but Going to Disneyland and staying at, I stayed at Toy Story Hotel, but staying on site, it was, it was the closest to a Western experience that I had in, uh, in China, for sure. Like, there was a lot of helpful people. Everyone was super nice. I know that there was a lot of really negative press in terms of, of, um, of just kind of guest reaction and guest uh, behavior in general. Uh, when the parks initially opened and even maybe, you know, a couple of the years prior to that, I experienced none of that. I mean, they definitely had that all pretty much taken care of. Uh, and it, it it did feel like in many ways being at a Disney park, like there were absolutely parts where it just felt like you were at a normal Disney park. Um, not all the time, but like I said, it's definitely... Uh, as someone that understands kind of the the challenges in general of just kind of the 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 culture shock of going to a place like China, it's uh, I would not let that stop you from going to Shanghai, China in general. But uh, yeah. but I get what she's saying for sure. Yeah, well, for her it was it's for her it was more more the pollution because she said she just like felt so sick the whole time because of the the severe amount of uh smog it, i don't think it was right. so much the uh the actual like issue of dealing with the uh uh getting around or whatnot because she traveled to all the other parks uh and enjoyed it uh, it was yeah. just she just was really not 
down with the the pollution. Uh, so little did she know that they've installed a bubble above Shanghai Disneyland to filter out all of the air that comes in. <laughs> well, plus she had uh, she had a, a young son, and I definitely think she did not want to expose him to the the uh, the pollution as well. It, it can be bad, the, but that and also, I mean, if I'm gonna travel to any park i can't i want to go to uh disney sea in japan that's the one that i'm gonna save up my money for to to make that trip we'll see uh, so the trick is though you uh, basically do what i did when when we uh went to when i was in japan and went to shanghai and then both of the tokyo disney parks you can we should do we should we should focus on on this kind of little trick and how to hit all three parks in one trip, because it's definitely doable. You basically, China has a rule with, uh, we'll see, we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, I guess once uh, we come out of this crisis and maybe if we're, we're, uh, we're, we're still on good terms with China at the end of all of this, but, uh, <laughs> but we definitely, we were able to, you're, you are able to, do a quick stopover for at least if you're from the U.S. Different countries have different rules, but um, if you are from the U.S. and you are traveling to a different location that isn't China, they'll allow you to stop at a major Chinese city along the way for up to 72 hours. So you're able to basically just book a stop in China for like I think it was maybe like a hundred extra dollars in terms of a. a you know, our plane ticket mm. to make that stop in China. And then the park is ridiculously cheap. I think it was around, I want to say close to a hundred dollars a night to stay on site at a Disney resort. So we did that and it was really cheap. I think we went on a, on a more expensive day even, which, which worked out. It made it so that it was less crowded, but even then we only paid $80 for our ticket on, on a peak day. And hmm. so, you know, for a couple of hundred bucks, we basically were able to get a night and or uh, two nights and a full day at Shanghai Disneyland. So, and then carry on to Tokyo and do all the Tokyo parks and everything else we wanted to do in Japan. So, there's definitely ways to do it, but yeah, you gotta you gotta have time and you gotta have a little of the extra kind of planning juice in order to make that happen. But that's definitely a big, big time hack if you're if you're if you're interested in hitting all those parks in one fell swoop. Yeah, well, I mean, that's that sounds good, but I still need the the money for just the plane ticket. So <laughs> let's do it, man. I'll enroll you in uh, in Big Daddy J's school of travel hacking. <laughs> so yeah, so just to go back to homogenization and the and the kind of sharing a rides bit. Like I'm not necessarily opposed to it. I totally get what you're saying and where you're coming from. And I think it makes complete sense uh, to give guests the opportunity to experience some of these rides that they potentially wouldn't. Um, and also it's cheaper for Disney because it's the rides already designed. Um, but what I what I think I prefer and you, you, we have a couple of like really good examples of this is when it's like a really similar ride system, 
but it's either maybe themed differently or there's something changed about it so that it feels like a different experience. Definitely the ride system that does this the best, I think, currently right now is Tower of Terror, where for sure at Hollywood Studios in Orlando, it's the original and it it still is the best version of that ride. But, you know, it, it that exists at, you know, still that ride system anyway, exists at Disney California Adventure, and it also exists at uh, Walt Disney Studios Parks in, uh, Walt Disney Studio Park in Paris. Mm. But each version is pretty substantially different in terms of overall theming and in terms of just the general feel as a rider. So, they have their original kind of Tokyo, uh, Tokyo. They, oh, that's right. Wait a second. And then they've got the uh, Disney Sea version as well. So uh, four different versions of that ride in total. But, um, but you know, so the one in Hollywood Studios is the original Twilight Zone Tower of Terror theming. They've kind of juiced it up with different sequences and made it more intense over the years. But generally, still the same theming, still the same sort of like super creepy, fun uh, experience. And then you've got California Adventure, which had its kind of stripped down version of that, but has since turned into Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout, uh, which is a completely different ride experience, right? Like, even though I really enjoy and kind of miss the old Tower of Terror theming at, uh, at California Adventure, I-, I cannot deny that Guardians of the Galaxy, with its theming and its music, and it's just general presentation is just a more fun experience. I know maybe that's a bit of a hot take and kind of <laughs> controversial. I know in uh, in Instagram, I've had a couple of back and forths about this, but for me, it's just like a more fun experience. It's all about fun, not about like thrills and creepiness and, and whatnot. Um, but regardless, and then in uh, Walt Disney Studios in Paris, their version is a similar setup as the old California Adventure one, but it now has its own, uh, they call it like a new level of fear, I think is what their newest version is. Just recently, last year in 2019, they went through pretty large renovation and they added a lot more story and theme elements that, again, totally and completely unique to that park and that version of the ride. So again, like it, it feels like a very different version of Tower of Terror than anything else. And then you've got Disney Seas, which again, completely different in that it is it's it it's a it's its own theming, unique story, and it again just can't be found anywhere else. Like it's more of of almost like a voodoo kind of evil doll theming that's going on throughout that. It's still very creepy, but kind of almost like a cartoonish adventuring kind of uh, a fun theme to it. So again, like same ride generally, or at least same ride system, it just presents itself differently in each location. So there's still like added benefit and value of like checking it out. Like I'm still interested in, in checking out each version to see kind of its own unique quirks and its own, ride experience but it's still generally speaking the same ride but what happens when you feel like you got stuck with your your park that you normally visit you got stuck with the worst (laughs) version (laughs) of it and uh but i mean for me you know definitely comes down to kind of tron is the the one big uh theme here in that i want to ride tron i guess i wouldn't mind getting like i don't know i want a, a 
I want a Tron themed ride and I want it to be awesome. And right now this is the closest thing I'm going to get to a Tron ride or anything Tron. I, it, it I mean, closest part- thing. It is a Tron ride. You're well, getting I mean, exa- the exact thing. Well, yeah, but I mean, you know, they're not going to do a different ride uh, with no. Tron. So it's like, this is, this is it. This is what I I need this ride. I need to ride this ride. <laughs> so I think for me, um, I actually enjoy uh, when they have the same ride, but like you said, it's a little bit different because then you can at least go through and, and try and pick out like the differences as long as it feels different, but then at least somewhat uh, like equal in most ways because yeah, I remember riding Pirates of the Caribbean in uh, Magic Kingdom and being kind of disappointed that it only has one drop. Yeah, it's kind of a different thing with Magic Kingdom just based off of that history where it was kind of like a last minute build and that, right, they like initially weren't going to have Pirates of the Caribbean at Magic Kingdom, but... Uh, because they were so close to the uh, so close to the Caribbean Ocean, so they felt like yeah, it's not necessary. But people went expecting for there to be a pirate, so they were like, "Whoa, I guess we'd better build a Pirates of the Caribbean." Didn't have as much space or time as they would normally want, so they kind of had to create a, a bit of a stripped down experience. I mean, I just want to be able to experience it without you know having that feeling like if it's in Shanghai, it feels like. That's less likely to come true than if it's over just in Florida. That's that's a possibility that that could come true. Uh, so yeah. I, and I think that's for a lot of people. That's kind of the feeling of like, hey, if it's if it's in a park closer to me, I can exp- I can possibly experience it. But some of these yeah. rides that are like just in one uh, country. Uh, yeah, that hope gets diminished, you know, when, but I mean, I do see your point. It does make the park experience unique, but I think there's a lot of other things to experience at the same time. That's going to make that, you know, that trip unique anyways. So I don't know. Best, best example I can, I can think of that kind of bridges these, uh, the gap in terms of what we're talking about Phantom Manor at Disneyland Paris is perfect because it is, if you're a fan and you want to, like, let's say you're in Europe and you've heard all about the Haunted Mansion and you want to experience the Haunted Mansion, it is pretty much a very similar experience. And really, when you break down that ride, it's kind of, it has its own unique elements to it in the first half. But generally speaking, it hits like all of those major beats of the first half of a um, of the haunted mansion in you know Disneyland and Disney World and Tokyo uh, Disneyland as well. Hits all of those major beats. So if you feel like you know that's something that you really want to experience, you definitely get that. So you get the stretching room, you get the uh, dune buggies, you get uh, that kind of walk from the stretching room to the dune buggies where you're going through the portrait rooms and the portraits are changing. You're going through like the Madame Leota scene. You're going through the ballrooms. So you get like all of those those really big beats. But really soon after that ballroom and that second half triggers. You know, normally you would kind of go through the graveyard in Haunted Mansion in the U.S. and 
and just kind of the standard version of Haunted Mansion, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, but in Phantom Manor, you actually get buried and you go into the the crypt, basically, and you go underground. And it, it is a completely unique experience and a completely unique portion of any of these rides where now all of a sudden you're going through uh, an area of the ride that's specific to the storytelling and the narrative of the um of the general of the general land <laughs> that phantom manor um the phantom manor exists in and so storytelling in disneyland paris is is fantastic anyway it's probably in terms of parks that have the best uh story integrated into the individual lands it, disneyland paris far and away is the best but but still like the fact that it is uh, a familiar first half and a unique second half makes it perfect for I think both people, right? If you're if you want to experience haunted mansion, you can do that for the most part. And if you are a haunted mansion fan that wants something new, you definitely get that as well. So it was it was a perfect experience just for that reason. I think when uh, when I visited, I was I was very happy with uh, with the overall ride and just very impressed with how it was handled. All right, but I hear you. Really, at the end of the day. Henry wants to straddle that Tron bike. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, man, Friday. So this was just a couple of days ago. We actually had a theme park open up to the public. Universal Orlando. And it's three parks along with six of its hotels. Wins the award for the first major reopening in that overall area. I think technically Legoland was open first, but not a major theme park in the way that Universal or Disney are. Uh, so we already knew about the whole mask situation where those are required. We already knew about the social distancing. We already knew about the mandatory temperature checks when you arrived. Uh, but we still had no idea of how any of this would actually work out in an up and running park setting. And luckily for us, there were about 3,000, give or take a few, day one reports, and only three quarters of which all say pretty much the exact same thing. So we got a pretty good idea of what it was like on the ground. So it sounds like the estimated maximum capacity target initially for that opening day, for day one that was open to the public, was 30%. But it sounds like they readjusted that to be closer for closer to 25%, at least for this opening few days. Uh, and so travel and leisure described that quote, while a smaller crowd did dampen the energy a little bit, there really is something to be said for the ambient noise of thrilled and sometimes and sometimes terrified roller coaster riders. The open space made it a lot easier to understand how things were different and to adjust my behavior accordingly. So it sounds like it is helpful having all of that space because you actually can can easily figure out what all of the various different rules and regulations are and you can you can be a better park guest for all of your fellow park guests. Um Theme Park Insider also called out that while the soft opening VIP days were completely sold out, crowd size noticeably dropped on the official opening day. Both they and a few others doubted that the park even hit their reduced capacity limit of 25%. Uh, 
uh, and this is this has been a question of ours for a while of what that capacity is actually going to look like. Is the demand going to be there? So it sounds like at least once it opened up past VIPs, maybe it mellowed out a little bit. But uh, but we did also we were also wondering like well if they do hit that park capacity, what's the policy? Allears.net did apparently ask a manager about this, and that manager confirmed that guests would be informed at the very uh, at the at the very front entrance toll booths where you drive in that initial entrance. Uh, they would be informed that park had hit capacity, and if they wanted to, they could kind of hang out and wait for others to leave so that they could eventually be allowed in. But generally, doesn't sound like it's a problem, at least for the time being. So. Uh, capacity pretty low. I mean, you know, we do have, uh, we are still uh, in the middle of a pandemic. <laughs> we did have that story that, you know, we did have some, uh, some COVID cases rise in Florida, especially now that everything is starting to reopen. We do have uh, quite a bit of civil unrest. So it's definitely a possibility, Henry, that uh, that maybe that had an effect. <laughs> I think that definitely had an effect on it. Right. <laughs> it, it feels weird to be like, now we're going to go to Universal now that uh, with everything going on right now. But some people felt that way, I guess. So, you know, I don't know. But yeah, I mean, yeah, I was reading some uh at least some uh, a little an article on uh, attractionsmagazine.com where they were talking about uh, they went to uh, Universal's Orlando and I guess talking about how they how wearing wearing a mask for twelve hours went. <laughs> oh yeah, what what was their take on that? Uh, they said uh, make sure you uh, <laughs> you figure out a very comfortable mask to wear. Uh, yeah. And one of the, I think the best advice that I got from the article is to uh, bring multiple masks uh, with yes. you because yeah. uh, uh, they say that, I mean, I didn't really think of that, but uh, uh, if you, you know, you want, may want to have, may want to, or have to change your mask because if it gets wet, it gets difficult to, to breathe through. Uh, it sounds like they were definitely uh, keeping an eye on people wearing masks, and but they did. It seems like they did have areas marked where you could sit down and actually take off the mask and rest. Yeah, uh, it was called like uh, you rest areas. Uh, yeah, supposedly uh, there are two of those in each park. So, uh, right, the idea is that it's kind of like. Everything is socially distanced. It sounded like uh, it was maybe a, a, a possibly a, a good spot to if you did have some kind of like something you wanted to drink or you wanted to eat while not going into a designated kind of food or restaurant area. Uh, those were good spaces for that, too. So that, it, yeah, I, I read the exact same thing. It sounded like those uh, those were very, uh, very useful areas. Yeah, because uh, <laughs> just recently, uh, Lori, my wife just bought a ton of different fabrics because she's planning on making us more masks and some uh, matching ears for uh oh nice for a trip to uh, Disneyland hopefully oh you guys are getting ready well I mean we want to be ready just in case we don't know what's gonna happen but uh, 
it was interesting because talking to her about potentially like what happens if Disneyland opens up, are we going to make a trip or not? She wouldn't really commit to it and say, yes, we should go. But then she ordered so much fabric. That's your answer right there. She answered your question, just not the way that you were hoping she would. Yeah, it was. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, you're saying, Henry, bags are packed, uh, masks are prepped, ears are ready to roll. Yeah. Well, I mean, she now she wants me to go find some fabric for uh, me, my masks. I mean, she got some fabric for me to make for a mask. But uh, uh, if I want any other kind of like other masks made, like using Marvel characters, all the fabric she got was uh, Disney themed but uh, got it yeah nice it seemed like one of the big questions on everyone's mind soon as the announcement was made that masks were going to be required everywhere um throughout the park uh obviously except restaurants but you know uh that everyone was wondering like what's that experience going to be like in orlando because just the thought of wearing a mask for you know 10 to 12 hours straight uh, in that kind of Florida heat sounds brutal, but yeah, what you're saying makes total sense in terms of like bring extra masks, you know, part of their policy basically is you don't even have to wear masks on water rides because of course, as soon as a mask gets wet, uh, it's no longer effective. So I'm guessing that on any of those rides, there are people rolling around without masks on. So better or worse, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. But they did say that, uh, wearing the mask on the ride did not See, did not detract from the ride and was not an issue. So uh, yeah, that makes sense. So it's, it's good news at least. Uh, so yeah, well, it sounded like it sounded like in addition to all of the mask stuff. I mean, the staff were really on the ball about getting cleaning supplies and sanitizing everything. Um, uh, you know, people were talking about how specifically. The staff there were were uh, personally squirting sanitizer in everyone's hands before uh, anyone was getting on rides, and that after the ride would disembark and people would get off, someone would be wiping it down completely. So, I mean, it definitely sounds like uh, cleanliness is a priority, which is great. Uh, also, performers were all wearing masks, and they were they were uh, strategically socially distanced from everybody. It looked like everybody was, uh, a lot of the performers were up on stages or positioned in some areas where they were kind of displayed, but that they wouldn't necessarily have direct contact with any of the guests. So um, so that makes sense, though it was a little weird. It felt like, you know, you were, you were kind of uh, walking through like a display store or something like that. The way that they're handling rides and loading rides is very similar to what we were hearing about at Shanghai Disneyland, where the rides, for the most part, were being socially distanced through only uh, loading half of the vehicle. So if it was a a row-based vehicle, it would just be every other row would be loaded or, you know, something like that. Uh, Interesting thing that I was hearing, too, was like in in some of the more... um, specific or smaller ride vehicles like uh, Harry Potter and the Forbidden Journey, they're basically saying that it was like, it was possible if you were only 
a single rider or something like that. Mm-hmm. They were sending full cars with only one person on them. So <laughs> that uh, definitely has the potential of slowing things down. But uh, but good to see that they're definitely really going out there for that kind of social distancing. That definitely, that's my kind of thing. I love the idea, especially since I'm, uh, I'm oftentimes a solo park goer. I love the idea of uh, having my an entire ride vehicle to myself. That sounds great. Oh, yeah. I like the idea of that, too, or at least to, like, have <laughs> enough space for just myself. Uh, yeah. Usually I have to maneuver my wife between me and some stranger so I have enough <laughs> shoulder room and whatnot, and I'm not crowding somebody else. It's definitely perfect for somebody like you. I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's just, they're definitely, you're it, like I said, definitely sounds like you're getting some some legit space here, so... This might be the time to go, Henry. If you were thinking of going to Universal Orlando, dude, uh, an interesting thing that uh, they were talking about. So pre-shows that would normally play out as guests were waiting to board are currently on hold indefinitely. So uh, that's an interesting one. You know, we were we oftentimes talk about and ask, like, is pre-show still going to be good to go? something like the haunted mansion are they still going to utilize the uh, stretching room which is kind of like an enclosed area are they just going to reduce the amount of people that are going down uh, down each elevator or are they just going to skip it entirely uh well if if the haunted mansion was in universal it sounds like they would potentially skip that entirely so that was mm. uh that was a pretty surprising one um and and then they talked about the the virtual queue system which uh, sounded like generally was effective. Um, somebody was, I was reading one report. Where was it from? Might've been, might've been theme. It was either theme park insider or it was mice. What was it? All years. One of those. I, I forget. I read, I've read so many different day one reports. I'm sorry. So I would credit you if I would remember, but uh, somebody specifically called out that there's a major flaw currently with the virtual ride system in that, um, you know, if you look at what is done with MaxPass or if you look at what's done with FastPass Plus in Disneyland Resort, if you're part of a group and you've all been grouped together, um, you know, if you if one person in the group books a FastPass for everybody, everybody's status gets updated in their specific kind of fast pass account. So, um, so everybody's kind of blocked out from booking a fast pass until that initial time expires. Apparently that is not the case in this virtual queue system because it's not, it's not scanning individuals in, in each individual in a group. So basically when you, when you claim a spot in the virtual queue it asks you how many guests are included in your group and you can put however many guests and it never validates it. So technically you could have, you know, four different people in your group select four different times and just basically block out the entire system with just your group for uh, for a large portion of the day. Mm. So it, it sounds like there's definitely possibility for or if not abuse, at least just uh, problems. Yeah, and, and it also sounded like if you got there early, you were you had the you had kind of the run of the mill and uh, could just start booking uh, virtual queue time as opposed to someone that maybe arrived later 
yeah, you're you're in trouble. You're gonna get locked out. So Ugh. shenanigans. And I don't know. I mean, if they're not scanning groups anyway, I mean, it sounds like that's not part of this system. It's not a system that's built into Universal's kind of uh, virtual queue functionality. Then that might be that might be a big problem. Yeah, wonder how they're going to solve that. Wonder how they could solve that. I. I honestly don't know. I mean, I guess right now the capacity is low. It's a good time to figure it out. So hopefully I'm, I'm sure they're working on something because man, you know, once, once things start heating up, people are going to show up. They are going to start hitting capacity and, and a lot of these systems are really going to be put to the test. So that, uh, yeah. that would be a real big bummer. Well, as we know from being in QA, that small group isn't going to find everything there every, but when you get like the triple the digits and you get into the thousands and thousands, people are going to find those and break, break the, those systems real quick. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Definitely. I mean, and it's such like a unique situation and it's such a temporary situation. It's like, I think both Universal and Disney are, are in these bit of a balancing act in that like how big of a problem is this really? And is it something that's like worth solving? Because, you know, it's just like I'm sure there's tons of issues that are gonna pop up, but we know that all of these virtual cues and even the social distancing is, you know, it it's temporary, which is not to say that it's it's gonna be like a month or two, but it's not like a it's not like a long term policy. So you know, it's like you want it to be usable, but it doesn't need to be perfect. Yeah. I mean, there's always that that time of working out those issues. And I guess that's probably why they had the one of the reasons they had the kind of uh, VIP kind of soft opening to kind of check those systems out. And hopefully, yeah, they're listening and seeing the this. Uh, these issues or know about these issues. I have to imagine that somebody is. I mean, this is the whole point of just kind of lower capacity and everything figuring, everything being figured out now while it's still kind of slow. You have to imagine as well that uh, that Disney is is looking at all of this and kind of uh, looking at their plans and tweaking their plans accordingly as well. So also, so um, looking at just a few other uh, details from reports. So CNN Travel ran into... Dr. Channing Willoughby, who's also at the park for his first day, uh, for this first day, uh, when they asked him his thoughts on all of these measures, he said, quote, I felt that they really had a good handle on safety. I'm a physician, so I keep up on what's happening in the world. And in terms of preventative measures, I thought Universal was ahead of the curve, so I felt very safe bringing my family here, end quote. So you got a, a nice endorsement from a, a real deal doctor. Um on the other side of things, Diz Universal visited during one of the busier VIP preview days and called out a few issues that they kind of noticed and experienced. Um, the main thing they brought up was that uh, proper social distancing and many of the new health procedures, from their perspective anyway, weren't always being followed or or enforced. So the few areas that they called out specifically was those health and safety checkpoints that uh, that you have to go through before even entering the park. So this is kind of at the 
exit of the um of the parking garages that everyone that everyone has to walk through so they called out that because there were only a limited number of staff checking temperature and doing security i think they said six but because of that you know when it during that park opening morning period there was just a crush of people trying to all flow in it created a a bit of a nasty bottleneck and uh, it basically forced everyone kind of in these tight quarters together. And from mm. what they experienced, there was just not a lot of social distancing going there. Uh, there are also bottlenecked areas throughout the park that were that were just kind of tight spaces that are that are really part of that specific areas designed. So they called out like Wizarding World and how a lot of it's designed to just be kind of very intimate and tight and have these kind of narrow alleyways and passageways. Um, not a ton of social distancing going on there. And then they also observed handfuls of people uh, in the larger wide open areas, um, not wearing their masks properly or even at all. And from what they could tell, Universal wasn't really doing much about it. Um, hard thing, of course, because I'm sure they have a limited staff. They definitely don't have their full staff there because it is such a a smaller group that's uh, that of guests that are coming in. But uh, but yeah, it sounded like sounded like not much enforcement was going on, at least from what they observed. So that's kind of a bummer, man. Especially with how City Walk went. Yeah, I mean that doesn't. I mean that's kind of been my concern because yeah. while uh, uh i imagine you can you can get the you can get uh you know you can make your employees or have your employees do things because there's definitely consequences there but uh you know my wife working in retail has experienced like people will have masks but they'll have them like off their face i mean they'll have them like well underneath their chin and stuff and it's like well what's the point of having your mask on at that point yeah you know or she'll see she commented to me today that uh she saw like a whole family wearing masks except for the father and that defeats the purpose of having the whole family wear masks <laughs> because if the father gets sick he's going to get everybody else sick so yeah, yeah. uh it's it's kind of not surprising and this is this is the the problem is that you know people being there and not following the rules and there's always those people who don't follow the rules and they really need to like crack down on those people because they're gonna have they're gonna either be in cause problems or they're going to uh you know just be a problem themselves yeah. And I mean, really, hopefully it is just something that they could just staff up on and just be a little bit better about ensuring that, you know, they're doing, I don't know if sweeps or just doing some kind of like walk arounds to ensure that people are doing that. Because I, I mean, I imagine if there is like a guest directly interacting with a staff member that's not wearing a mask, you know, one would hope that the that the staff member would just be like, hey, man, put your mask on or, or something like that. But, I mean, to assume and expect that a reduced capacity of staff members is going to, you know, be able to be everywhere that guests are and enforce guests outside of even, like, heavily staffed areas, 
if that's their solution, then yeah, it's it's going to be problematic. And of course, you're not going to be able to uh, to control that because I'm sure staff are super busy anyway because they're just uh, they're trying to figure out everything too. Yeah, I mean, you know, I don't think people really think about the repercussions of their like not following the rules, but like it's potentially. I mean, if enough of these people aren't following the rules. You know, besides, I guess, I don't know, fines, but they could force the parks to close back down and then you, you ruin it for other people. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, and it, it, again, like it's, it is on universal to try to figure it out because the way that it was described, at least by, um, by Disney universal, what they, what they, um, brought up was, was that it felt like once you were in the parks, it felt like guests just treated it like an everyday kind of park day. And so, of course, they weren't thinking about um, social distancing. And of course, they weren't thinking about like my mask needs to be at all on 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 my mask needs to be on all times. So, you know, it really is. And and that's really what Universal, to a certain extent, kind of wants, like certainly they want everybody to be following the rules. But I mean, it's a similar thing with Disney, where like Disney is still trying to figure out a way to make you forget about the outside world and be encompassed in kind of the world of Disney, uh, literally. But um, so it, like I said, it's like it is on them to figure out, well, what's the appropriate solutions to ensure that like people are following these rules. And I don't know, like I said, hopefully it is just a matter of having enough staff there to ensure that people are being monitored. But I mean, outside of that, I don't know if there is an easy solution. Yeah. I mean, I agree. They're probably, honestly, I don't think there is an easy solution, but, but definitely having staff, available to kind of uh, inform people or call out when people aren't following the rules. And then, yeah, uh, of course, leveling some form of consequences if people refuse. Yeah, um, right. If they're being assholes about it, then they get the boot. But it sounds like, and I'm willing to give people the benefit of the doubt, if only because, you know, like it, it, it is the first time that, I think most people have been in a theme park under these circumstances, right? So that kind of natural uh, reflex kicks in of just like, yeah, man, I'm at the park. Cool. Um, so like I said, it's, I'm willing to give people the benefit of the doubt, but certainly, yeah, if they're, if they're just being kind of, uh, if they're being just really jerks about it, then yeah, give them the boot. If they're going to give, if they're going to give staff a hard time or really be hesitant to follow rules. Yeah. I mean, uh, that was something that they called out in the article I read about the wearing of masks is like, uh, you know, give, <laughs> be kind to employees and to, uh, other guests, because I guess, you know, everybody is kind of dealing with this for the first time. And, uh, you know, it's Everyone's just on edge of, in general. Yeah. <laughs> <Right? It's> like, <laughs> everybody's dealing with this and everybody's kind of frustrated with it, but this is at least for now the new normal. So right. uh, we need to kind of deal with it in the best way possible. Yeah. 
Well, and so speaking of masks and where they're being worn and where they aren't, so not a ton of information from uh, Volcano Bay. I don't know if you read uh, read some stuff that I didn't, but with this Dis Universal report, they basically called out that they didn't spend that much time because you know the general rule for Volcano Bay, unlike the other theme parks, is masks really are being encouraged in the non-kind of water ride areas, but that they're not necessarily being required. And so because of that, nobody's wearing a mask. I mean, it's it's a complicated situation anyway, because like we were talking about, water and masks don't really mix and you're at a water park. So I don't know what the elegant solution is there, but uh, but they were saying like, that was that was a little off-putting for them in particular was that everyone was running around without masks uh, in a water park, but uh, but that they said it was still relatively busy, and uh, and that they did call out that one of the one of the kind of nice features that they've built in is you know they've got these tapu tapu they call them but they're they're basically like wearable uh, devices similar to Magic Bands at Disney World but they do have like a small little cheap LCD screen but they said that periodically those wearable watches would uh, vibrate and give a reminder to everybody to wash hands and practice social distancing. So that was kind of a way that they were uh, pushing this reminder. But yeah, I mean, it's sounds a little complicated at Volcano Bay. I, I can't say that I blame them for uh, for not hanging out too long. Yeah, I mean, water parks are <laughs> full of germs anyways. Uh, yeah, man. So, I mean, <laughs> it's always a lot been... A, There's a lot of pee in that water. <laughs> it's always been kind of a, a guest beware type uh, <laughs> when entering such uh, those type of places. So, I don't know. It it, it does seem a, you're, you're taking risks anyways, so... For sure. Well, that was, I mean, so th- that was pretty much everything that, uh, that from Universal that uh, that I was able, able to pull. Generally, it sounds like step in the right direction, definitely some difficulties, definitely some areas that, uh, that can be really tightened up. I-, I am surprised that people didn't, I mean, I shouldn't say surprised, but it is a little surprising in retrospect that they couldn't even hit that 25% capacity mark. But in general, I mean, it sounds like that's that's probably a good thing. A few people that are there having positive experiences in the fact that there are very little wait times for rides. And it also gives uh, Universal an opportunity to really figure out some solutions to some of these issues that are being that are being exposed now that people are actually there. But um, but yeah, in general, I, I mean, would would you say this was a success? I mean, it's kind of hard to say it's a success considering everything that's going on uh it sounds <laughs> this week is i think i would rather hear like reports on how things go this coming week but uh yeah i mean it 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 sounds like things were good for the most part um but i would like to see what happens when they do hit that that max peak or that max uh uh guest uh attendance so that uh and yeah. how they handle that yeah. uh 
Because it seems like when you, especially in a like VIP kind of soft opening, they're not on, they're not at capacity as far as having as much as all the employees there that need to be there. Um, so hopefully the real test is going to be this week, I think. And when they have everybody all, all, on, all hands on deck and hopefully they learn stuff during this like soft opening and all this stuff. And they make those, how they make those changes, how quickly they make those changes really show how much they're paying attention. Yeah, that's definitely true. I mean, it's, it is one of these situations. It's very fluid. So, you know, they're, they're learning a ton and they're going to need to make adjustments, but, uh, but yeah, I would definitely say check with me in two weeks and, uh, and we'll find out, I guess, how successful this opening period is. If there's a bunch of more, uh, infections that spike in that area, then I guess we'll know. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, so that's what's popping over at uh, Universal Orlando. Walt Disney World, though, made sure that they had their own set of headlines this week and dropped a ton of new details on what the resort experience is going to be like when the parks open next month. Most of these are expected, but there are definitely a few surprises tucked in here, too. So what we already knew about and or or just could safely assume based off of what we knew was that there is a big effort to ensure that hotel rooms are thoroughly cleaned between each guest even going as far to steam cleaning carpets various resort specific amenities will not be available such as in-room childcare hula lessons special classes and programs etc uh not all pools will be opened and the ones that will be uh, are running off of limited and reduced hours. Socially distanced in-park transportation systems will resume, though the uh, specific minivan service will not be available, at least during this initial launch. And some of the newer details with these announcements that, we, uh, that we've heard about include that hotels will be completely locked down to only those that have confirmed staying reservations uh, or those that have a specific restaurant reservation. They've also come out with a full list of what your resort dining options are going to be. I'm not going to read them out uh, right now because it's extensive, but uh, but definitely check. I mean, as with all of this, if there's something in particular that you're into, definitely check. I think I think the big ones are definitely there, but one that I definitely want to call out is Topolino's Terrace. At Disney's Riviera Resort, it'll be the only place where you'll find character dining in any of the resorts. And even with that, it is being called out as a, quote, modified experience. So I have no idea what that is, but I guess we'll find out as more details uh, are announced. Magical Express will be operating and using some form of social distancing. So they'll have that uh, complimentary transportation to and from the airport. There is going to be a new virtual chat service that will be offered through the Disney World app to guests as a way to get specific questions answered without having to go to the lobby of the hotel. Uh, this is completely in line with how uh, Disney's been pushing um, all automated check-in or check-in through your phone so that you don't have to go through the lobby of the hotel. They're really trying to reduce those usually very heavily trafficked areas. Um, and then 
a little interesting nugget here that they that they had tucked is that hotel reservations will not guarantee access to the theme parks. Now, what I'm hoping that this means is just kind of a, a broad cover to prevent people from not making reservations, showing up the for their hotel reservation, uh, you know, maybe the day before they were hoping to go to a park and then, you know, being denied, like, sorry, man, you didn't make a park-specific reservation, so can't do it. Like, hopefully they're still going to give a little extra leeway to resort guests to make those park reservations. I think they're just trying to cover bases so that, you know, if something happens, it, you know, they're not uh, going to be held accountable and have to <laughs> have to make up something for people like, hey, here's a free meal plan for people who didn't get in <laughs> or something. Yeah, totally. I mean, it definitely seems like. I mean, they've done a pretty good job. Like I, like I said, if I have a reservation for a hotel in late August, uh, uh, early September, and I received the email saying like, hey, you have an upcoming hotel reservation, no fast pass pluses. We have a new reservation system that's going to be coming on online because you have a hotel reservation already. You'll get first access. Um, but you have to imagine that, I don't know, you're going to, you're always going to have the, couple of outliers that are going to show up and be like reservation system. What, (laughs) what are you talking about? (laughs) It's like, no, man, it's not, it's not how we're playing these days. So yeah, hopefully that's what it is and that it isn't like a, um, it's not an indication that maybe the availability is going to be a little scarcer than everyone was hoping that, uh, that would certainly be a disappointment. But so along with all of these details and adjusted policies, Disney World is also asking all potential guests with current reservations to confirm and modify or cancel by June 12th. They're also waiving any of those change or cancellation fees if you do wish to postpone your trip. And along with all of these resort-specific announcements, Disney also had some park news that they blasted out as well. Disney World tickets that have already been purchased but not used are being extended now to September 26th, 2021. So this is a substantial pushback from the previous extension, which only went until December 15th. So like we've discussed before, this basically means that you, uh, if you've purchased tickets, you will get a one-for-one redemption as long as you come uh, and redeem by September 26th. So um, to me... Curious what your thoughts are on this as well, Henry. But to me, this seems like an indication uh, from Disney that maybe they're expecting that uh, the reduced capacity and this kind of new, temporary new, but new normal, if you will, uh, of reservation systems and limited capacity, that this is not going to be something that is a, a short term adjustment. At least it's going to go into next year for a while. Yeah, well, I think uh, I think one the after after the debacle with the meal plans, uh, I think they're trying to cover all bases and be as wide uh, scope and plan for this not going away anytime soon. Instead right. of being more short sighted, um, I think I think that's for the best. 
because uh, also it's also about people feeling comfortable with uh, with traveling and going to the parks because even though I'm sure we'll get a lot of people who uh, I myself who who may put themselves out there. But some people, I've talked to a friend who says they're not going back to the park. They're a huge Disney fan. Uh, they're not going to go back to the park until there's a vaccine for yeah. uh, COVID-19. So, And that, we don't know when that's going to happen. I mean, right. uh, experts have said more than likely not going to happen by January 2021. So, you know, so people aren't going to feel safe going to the the parks they still have those tickets you know yeah. bad press for people if they're like hey well i had these tickets i didn't feel comfortable but they basically said hey no you bought these tickets you got to use them and that's just bad press that they don't want to have to deal with so i think it's for the best to make it as long term as possible yeah i'm kind of surprised they didn't go a little bit at least until <laughs> until 2022 uh just make it a full year yeah i mean why nickel and dime it it just at least go to you know july january 1st 2022 you know yeah i mean it definitely was i i know that there are still people kind of confused with how the tickets work and what that even means where it's just like so does that mean that after that specific date. So, um, so after, does that mean that after September 26th, 2021, that, uh, that like, I'm not able to use my tickets at all, that they have no value. And it's like, no, no, you still are, but they're worth whatever the value that you paid for them was just not equal to a ticket because realistically by September 26th, 2021, if not sooner, uh, there's going to be some kind of ticket increase uh, happening next year. Um, it's going to be wild given everything that's going on, but it's. I would be surprised if they just skip next year. That I'm assuming it's going to happen, that everything's going to go up again, but uh, then you're on the hook for whatever the difference is. So, yeah, I mean, it, it uh, and, and then just like what you're saying, it then opens you up to just really bad feelings and bad PR about the situation. So, yeah, I mean, it gives you plenty of time to reschedule especially if uh if you're on the fence or especially even if you know you're just kind of like i don't even know when i would be going to the parks you know something that you you've brought up when we're talking about like how to plan around uh all of this and and kind of reschedule a trip is like you know uh this whole this whole quarantine and this whole uh pandemic has really affected quite a few people's just financial income and the financial state. So, you know, people, it might be a while before everyone's in a a place that all of a sudden they can, they can want to uh, afford or be able to afford a, a big time Disney world trip. So yeah, I mean it more time is definitely appreciated and for the better. So. Plus I think too, it saves them kind of money in a way where uh, if they just extend those tickets out longer uh, and just say, Hey, you know, the, the ticket's still good and, you know, full value 
you can still use it to this point. They don't have to have more people on staff to take those take those calls on like, yeah. what do I do now? Or or yeah. have to appease, you know, you know, guests or cu- customers by like doing something else. So, uh, it, I mean, that's probably not a a huge hit money wise, but every little bit helps, you know, for them. Yeah, totally. And I mean, e- even just, I mean, it does help them in that it spreads things out a little bit, right? I mean, with it, with this reduced capacity, it's going to be important. And I'm sure Disney wants to avoid as much as possible having to tell people or turn people away from it. So, you know, before where your ticket's only uh, worth what it, you, you know, you, you, the value of the ticket um, or you're, you're, you're one for one, your ticket as a ticket is valid just through the end of the year. It kind of forces people, I shouldn't say forces, but it does encourage them to kind of all crunch everything into this year, as opposed to by broadening it out for, you know, that three quarters of next year as well. It does, it does just naturally spread things out. People start to feel like they can spread their vacations out a little more. They don't have to book now and figure out everything now and try to fit it into a relatively thin slot. So it makes it easier for Disney to try to make that 20 to 30 to 40, whatever that capacity is work. Yeah. Plus, I mean, we don't know how, uh, like, how schools are going to be when they're going to really open. So like that, there may not even be an opening for uh, people to make another vacation for a long time, even if they have the money and feel secure enough going, they just may not have the opportunity till way later on because once if, you know, that, maybe that time frame for them to to go was in june well come like august and stuff if schools open back up you know they may not have another like opportunity to go till like you know june of next year so it's like a lot of unknowns for sure yeah oh and so so much to the surprise of everyone as well it has been confirmed that Spaceship Earth was looking like it was initially going to, uh, that Epcot was going to open with Spaceship Earth just already going into refurbishment. It's actually going to be opening with Epcot on June 15th. Again, it was that May 26th was the date that it was going to go through that multi-year, multi-million dollar refurbishment, but now that refurbishment's been put on hold indefinitely. And so really, at least the question on my mind, and and as great as it is that it kind of opens up the possibility to ride this and it, and it brings back a ride that is available at Epcot, which is always great. Um, you know, the, the question that I had was like, man, so now is this refurbishment even going to happen? Because Chapik has said in in one of his few interviews that he's done on like CNBC or, you know, one of those financial news networks, he said that, you know, with all of this, Disney parks are going to be required to go through some of these future expenses and maybe dialed back, if not eliminate some of their, their kind of more expensive, uh, some of their more expensive plans. And so, you know, certainly things like Tron coaster, 
uh, and uh, certainly things like even on the you know on the west coast, uh, Mickey and Minnie's, which is currently being constructed, Avengers Academy, which is almost done. There's definitely like the bigger things that they've moved on already. Those are safe, but it is these experiences and these refurbishments that haven't even necessarily started yet that could come under the ax. So definitely possible. I don't know. It sounded really cool what they were doing, but I could totally see that, uh, that that just doesn't ever happen. I think it'll happen. I just think it's going to be pushed out quite a bit. Like uh, I, I, could see it not even happening, starting up again for another five years or so, because yeah. uh, the Dis- Disney, the company has been hit so hard during this time that I think they want to recoup uh, or at least be in a a stable position again before they start making any more major like park imp- changes, uh, improvements. Uh, such as this uh, i think there's certain certain rides that will like they'll just do because uh they're maybe too far into development for it and uh they need to do something but i, I think uh this was so huge of a undertaking that uh i think it's it's something that will be put out for pushed off for a while since they can just have that open and people ride it. You know, it's it's something that I think eventually will be happening, but not anytime soon. Yeah. And I mean, to, to, to your point as well, it's like, uh, you know, it, I keep hearing this just various different thoughts around when specifically international travel is going to return to normal. Uh, And since international visitors are such a big aspect of Disney World, um, you know, that could play a big part. You know, if it does take two or three or more years for them to kind of rebound to those original international numbers that they were expecting and certainly were kind of planning around when they came up with the budgets for these new experiences and new refurbs, then, um, then yeah, to your point, it could be a couple of years for, uh, for, for that cash flow to increase again. And then, yeah, it could be a little bit longer. So, uh, hopefully that's, that's what happens and it doesn't, I mean, it is one of those classic rides and, uh, Epcot is in one of those situations. I've heard a couple of people almost kind of relieved that um, that one of the the last remaining kind of classic Disney Epcot rides is uh, is sticking around a little bit longer. And you know, with all of these major changes going on with Epcot and kind of new and exciting rides coming in, um, it definitely is one of those parks that, in being completely reworked, <laughs> you know, a huge portion of it reworked it is finding a new identity and kind of the older, you know, charm and the older kind of classic Epcot that had that kind of fun, kitschy, um, kind of charming aspect to it is, is, uh, is a little bit harder to find. So I, I, I always appreciate, uh, those kinds of rides for sure. Yeah. The, the thought of going there and not getting to visit, uh, Spaceship Earth is just kind of like mm, I think that's something that you wanna you wanna experience. Uh yeah. 
it, but and then having it like closed down for such a long time yeah it's kind of like you want to see improvements but that's a long time to yeah. have it shut down uh, such a major kind of area uh of a park cuz like even even if you think about like uh Disneyland when it was uh when they were building uh Galaxy's Edge they closed off a part of the park you know they removed the uh the uh petting zoo and stuff but that was not a major area to remove so it's like you, how you dare can, you big thunder ranch <laughs> barbecue you sob how yeah, dare well, you that was awesome but uh i mean it wasn't like you're missing a land you know uh, this type of situation. well i mean it's a cornerstone right like yeah. that's really what it comes down to it's like such a it i mean i'm trying to think of even like what that equivalent would be it's just like it would be like it would be like one of those classic walt rides would be like you know uh small world is closed for like two years i'm just be like whoa jungle cruise is closed for two years ah peter pan closed for two years oh it's like you know it's uh you're right it's 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 a crazy thought so selfishly i'm thrilled because it means that i'm gonna get to ride it assuming that actually take this trip uh but yeah i mean it's it's uh it's a bit of a relief for sure i mean it's not just that it's a uh like a iconic ride or place to visit but i mean you also have i mean uh it, it's it's such a visible symbol of epcot that it's like hey you know <laughs> you can't go in there you can't visit that it's going to be shut down for you know for s such a long time and you know uh it's a epcot lot is always yeah and epcot is like such a construction nightmare right now it's uh it's a bit of a mess so it's nice that we held on to one thing at least yeah <laughs> let's see well i haven't had a chance yet to visit epcot so at least I have some time to see uh, it in its original kind of see at least Spaceship Earth. So there you go. Tron Coaster, Spaceship Earth, the gruesome twosome as they're known. There's nothing gruesome about Tron. <laughs> no, uh, no, there is something gruesome about Henry Hall straddling a light cycle. Hey, man, I used to ride motorcycles. Did you? Yeah. Uh, Pixar, it didn't happen. I want to see this. I want proof. Well, the only time I got a, a concussion was I, I went ass over on a, on a, a dirt bike. <laughs> I believe that. I definitely. <laughs> that seems like that's a common thing from people that ride motorcycles. Yeah, I was bad on. Uh, on I used to own a. Well, I got my first dirt bike when I was eight. And because uh, my dad always was a a big uh, motorcycle rider, he has a he has a Harley. Um, so I grew up on motorcycles. Uh, I just you know never owned one myself after uh, in adulthood because I have a car and don't have <laughs> the extra funds to have a motorcycle as well. You've got a car and a concussion, man. What more could you want? <laughs> <laughs> so. So rounding out Walt Disney World here, uh, 
we cannot end this episode without talking about the fact that the NBA has officially voted to finish off the remainder of their season at the wide world of sports complex. This has been something we've been following and it sounded like such a, such a far off uh, potential uh, that would never happen, but it's happening. This is, this is actually going to happen. The teams would travel to Orlando around July 7th with the season starting sometime around the end of the month and wrapping up no later than October 12th, which is currently the date set for Game 7 of the NBA Finals. Uh, according to ESPN, players will be housed in three different hotels. Uh, Coronado Springs and Animal Kingdom Lodge Jumbo House are rumored to be two of them, and they will be tested nightly with results arriving early the next morning, uh, and that's part of that process to allow them to keep playing. Um ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski also confirmed that players and their families quarantining at the resort hotels will not be allowed to enter the park. So, Henry, unfortunately, your dream of competing in an arm wrestling competition against JaVale McGee is just not going to happen, man. Not this time. (laughs) Well, at least uh, you know that they're not taking up some of that uh, cap, so... You know, they're not the reason you didn't get into the park. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's like each one of those players gets their own ride vehicle. I think that's how it would roll, right? Yeah. <laughs> Plus, I mean, just imagine if you got seated behind one, like you're not seeing anything. <laughs> no, but I mean, I wouldn't be paying attention to the ride either, man. If I was if I was uh, sitting next to and or behind or just around an NBA player it would be. It'd be a dream, Henry. Oh my! Oh yeah. my! Yeah. Plus, I imagine that would be kind of a a security nightmare for them. Have like all the families and the players uh, in the oh, parks yeah. all the time, having security have to deal with the fans and who knows what else like going on with that that craziness. So they they're gonna have enough trouble with just dealing with people keeping their part of the attendance is keeping their masks on. They don't need to deal with like all the players there needing security to keep their fans off of them. Yeah. It's definitely for the best for sure. Uh, and then finally, it's also looking like major league soccer may actually be doing the same exact thing as the NBA because soccer insider is reporting that they will be wrapping up their season at ESPN wide world of sports as well. So, Disney World has become like the destination for pandemic season-ending uh, sports. Yeah, Disney making it happen. People are going to love this now, just period, because, I mean, one of the things I definitely hear the most, one of the things they hear the most is people miss sports, any kind of sports going on. Yeah. This will definitely help people's uh, morale during this uh this time period of turmoil <laughs> and uncertainty. Definitely, man. I, I will be watching as many N- uh, NBA games as I possibly can. But I mean, you know that they're going to be hearing like before every single game, it's going to be, you know, welcome to game one of the NBA finals at the ESPN wide world of sports at Disney world. It's like yeah. the best kind of advertising you, you possibly can have. Not to mention, you know, that, you know, that a, a, a juicy check is being cut 
uh, in a deal like this. So uh, oh, this yeah. is this this is not working out uh, badly for Disney in any way, shape, or form. Oh no, uh, I definitely know that. I mean, this means that the parks can continue on, and we don't have to worry about like, well, they're shutting this down because you know there wasn't enough attendance or there wasn't enough cash flow, you know, they can, you know, things can progress, you know, so. Yeah, it's true. And so now going back to universal, just for a brief second here, but this time in Hollywood president and chief operating officer, Karen Irwin is asking the Los Angeles board of supervisors to allow the park to staff back up and prepare for reopening in the not-too-distant future. Irwin specifically calls out that she believes the controlled environment of a theme park is actually more safe than public beaches, gardens, and hiking trails, most of which have already been allowed to reopen. It's likely that California will enter phase three of its reopening plan this month anyway, which already includes major theme parks, so this may already just be happening regardless, but... Uh, but it is looking like that kind of July timeframe is looking pretty good for uh, Universal Hollywood. Yeah, and I think uh, I think the only thing that could work against them in this case is how Orlando, how how if any bad reports come out of Orlando's opening opening. <laughs> so yeah. uh, I think uh, I think for the most part, it sounds like. Uh, more likely that they will be able to open. Yeah. I mean, it. it's, uh, if that's what they're doing, I mean, it's just, if that's what they're doing anyway, if they're allowed to open in phase three, then why wouldn't they? I mean, you, uh, you, uh, you need a second park to go to when your trip is down there anyway, right? You're going to stop off at uh, Universal Fright Fest. Or what is it? Universal Halloween Horror Nights, whatever that is this year. Yeah, well, we don't go to that, but we do go to the studio. Uh, usually, do go to uh, to Universal's Hollywood to just you know take a break, see how things are going there. I mean, unfortunately, they haven't changed much over the years, so there isn't a a lot to uh, uh, new. Uh, to experience, but I still like to go uh, have a have a lunch at the uh, Three Broomsticks, and now that I can actually go on the Harry Potter ride, I take a ride on that. <laughs> well, wait a second! Didn't they just redo Jurassic Park to be Jurassic World? Yeah, and but it wasn't as big of an update. Well, I mean, it actually was pretty big of an update, but. Uh, it's it's a water ride and uh my wife doesn't care for water rides too much. Oh, no. We got we got drenched when we went on it. So uh <laughs> I don't think I I mean I might be able to get her on it but uh <laughs> that's that's a kind of a long shot. <laughs> yeah. It uh it does seem like so I I mean clearly the eggs are in the Super Nintendo World basket at uh, at Universal Hollywood. They don't have a ton of space that they're working with at that uh, at that park anyway. But so it's that, and then there is a Secret Life of Pets ride that is opening up. It was like getting ready to open any day. I believe even they were having press walkthroughs right up until they closed that park. So 
that's got to be frustrating, but that park's going to open up and they're going to have a brand new ride to, uh, to check out. So that's, that's not bad. Yeah. I can hear the excitement in your voice. Yeah. Well, I mean, I haven't gotten, uh, enough of, uh, like, a preview anything tasty enough to like really get me excited for the ride. Uh, they did a lot, a lot more press for the, uh, Jurassic world to kind of get you like looking forward to it. Uh, than uh, they have for the secret life of they basically kept secret life of pets a secret <laughs> it feels like <laughs> <laughs> might not be a bad thing though yeah well we'll see we will uh hopefully yeah hopefully when that when things get moving over there that it won't be uh much longer before that opens up and finally we ended on universal tokyo last week And we're going to do it again this week because they just announced that they'll be reopening the park to the public on June 19th. Just as we've seen in every other park opening, there'll be a soft opening period from June 8th to the 18th for annual pass holders. A unique aspect of this opening, though, is that when general admission does open up on that 19th, it will be limited to both annual pass holders and the surrounding Kansai region with guests needing to provide proof of residency. No word on when this restriction would be lifted or even if Super Nintendo Land is going to be part of this reopening. My guess is that it isn't, but still, it's, it's, it's pretty bold and kind of like what we were hearing in terms of like rumors for... Walt Disney World when we were first hearing uh, rumblings about what that reopening was going to look like, but Universal Japan only opening to local uh, regional guests. That's, that's, that's pretty unique, pretty bold. Yeah. I mean, it seems like they're just going to have an extended like soft launch uh, to kind of work out any bugs or whatnot in their systems, but uh, it's not a full, even though they say they're opening, it doesn't sound like they're fully committed to opening to the the uh, public on whole. Um, but you know, we'll see how that works out. Well, I mean, it's it is a different. Uh, it's a bit of a different beast in general because it's in Osaka, right? It's not in Tokyo, so it's it's a little bit removed from the. The kind of hustle and bustle that you would get with uh, Tokyo Disney Resort. Yeah. So there's that. You're right. It is it is a smaller park in general. So there's that. I mean, in, and also Tokyo in general, it being an island is isolating. So it's not like, especially with these restrictions, you're getting a ton of international travelers anyway. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, it does kind of make sense to just say like, hey, Locals only for now, and then once things start moving and picking up, then it'll then it'll open up. So, still first first uh, theme park in Japan. That's something. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it gives them like maybe additional time to make work out any kinks in their system before they go full like public or uh, opening up to everybody in Japan. So it's like yeah. They're they're opening, they're working, they're putting people to work, they're checking out, dotting their I's and whatnot, making sure everything is, I mean, 
Japan has always been about, you know, the details being detail oriented and making sure things are, are tip top for everybody experience. So it makes sense. Yeah. Uh, speaking of just surprises, maybe I'm not super surprised by this based off of what's kind of going on in the, uh, the region over there, but Hong Kong Disneyland's been pretty silent. Like they've been primed. They've been set up for what seems like a while now. And I think it was like two weeks ago that they started doing cast member previews. So I don't know if all of this insanity between China and Hong Kong has, has kind of delayed everything a little bit, but I'm surprised that we haven't heard more from them. Well, I mean, in this case, uh, it may mean they may have found some areas where they needed more work. Because uh, I think if they definitely found, like, if they're ready to go, we would definitely hear, like, hey, we're open, everything's working out perfectly, whatnot. So they're in an interesting spot, too, in that. I mean, they have tons of stuff that's being worked on there. Uh, and they will have, uh, they have this, you know, they've been having this major construction going on, specifically on the, the castle. I was there two years ago, year and a half ago, and they had just started working on the castle. So it used to be Sleeping Beauty's castle from Disneyland, like a very close replica and it doesn't really work in the place that it, the area that it is like um, Hong Kong Disneyland, at least on main street and the castle uh, it's set against these really large kind of lush green hills. And so castle kind of gets lost in all of that. So um, as part of, as part of their kind of plussing up of Disney uh, Disney uh, of Hong Kong Disneyland in general, They've completely rebuilt the castle. They're calling it now the Castle of Magical Dreams. It incorporates like all of these areas and chunks from different uh, storybooks. So it kind of looks cool. It kind of looks like maybe it's going to be a bit of a mess, but we'll see. That will, it's seeming like they've been working on it this entire time. So that will open up when that park opens. That castle will be there. It'll be on display. So that's kind of exciting. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what that's going to look like in its completed form. The, um, the kind of images that have been online look like they could go either way. So we'll see, but, uh, but yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Um, Tokyo sounds like it's prime too. Uh, we didn't, uh, there was a story. We didn't go too much uh, deep into it, but there was just something about uh, social distancing markers being applied. So that's going to open soon too. We're moving, Henry. Yeah, I mean, we, you know, the parks are getting closer and closer to to opening, so we're getting a step closer to normalcy. But uh, but people should still be mindful of of where we're at, and we are not at a, a normal and yet, and uh, they should still make sure you're practicing your social distancing and wearing your masks and whatnot. True story. It's very responsible, Henry responsible hall. That's what we used to call you. <laughs> Just don't, uh, if you mess up, you could be messing it up for others. So <laughs> there you go. Very true. Well, that just about does it for today. 
Remember, you can catch The Great Park Hop each and every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or whatever your favorite podcast service just so happens to be. As always, if you like what you hear and want us to keep making content just like this, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, leave us a review, or hit that like button. This has been episode 19 of The Great Park Hop, and we'll catch you next week. Stay healthy, everybody. Henry, you take care, big guy. I'll talk to you soon. You too. See ya. Bye.